It's officially college football bowl season. Last year, we went an outstanding 10-1 and on our bowl predictions, including hitting three Moneyline Underdog outright winners. With games starting this weekend, we have launched our bowl package with a special 20% discount, which will run through the rest of the bowl season. Just Google Sharp Football, click on the website Sharp Football Analysis, and click the blue banner up top to get access. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal. And be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the Sharp Angles Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you are listening today. You'll get all four of our weekly podcasts in that feed, including this show. You'll get the Sharp Waiver and Injuries Show with Todd Burroughs, Tucker Bagley, and Curtis Hirsch. Sharp Angles with Dan Pizzuta and Rich Rebar and the Sharp Angles Fantasy Show with Rich and his weekly fantasy expert guest. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to Warren Sharp for fantasy football insight, matchup previews, and in-depth stats analysis and more. We've got a lot of great action this week. We've got some Saturday and Sunday games. So let's start with Saturday's action for the props. And I know I usually start out by looking back at um, at least one prop from the previous week. We're actually going to follow up and play a few bets from last week again this week. So we're just going to dive right into the props and we'll start with Saturday's action. And the first game of the day is Ravens at Brown. So we'll start with our weekly Nick Chubb bet. Take the over on his longest rush. Uh, hopefully it's available at 19 and a half yards. That's been the most common line that we've been getting. I would still take it if it jumped up to 20 and a half. That's the highest number that we've seen this season. We lost this prop last week. It was the third time this season that we've lost. That means we're 10-3. and I'm going to keep playing this prop. I think that the combination of Chubb's skill, the Browns' offensive line, uh, the Browns' run scheme, they've sort of broken the formula here. They're going to – I think this is just going to continue to be a winner more often than not. We're going to profit if we play every week. But I do want to point out a little bit of a trend in the losses – Um, I don't think it applies this week. I'm playing it regardless this week. But if you wanted to bail in certain games, you might be justified in doing so. So let's look back at the three times that he's lost. Obviously, last week, 23-10 loss to the Bengals. Chubb had 14 carries. The Browns were never really in that game. Also lost against the Bills. The Browns lost that game 31-23. Final score made it look a little bit closer than it was. The Bills had full control of that game for the whole second half and Chubb had 14 carries and then a blowout loss to the Patriots 38 to 15 Chubb only had 12 carries in that game those were three games where the Browns for the most part were not competitive so looking ahead at the schedule if there is a situation where the Browns are an underdog by a touchdown or so you think that there's just no chance they're going to be competitive and you wanted to bail on this prop in that particular game I think you could justify that There have been other games this year, though, where the Browns have lost and Chubb has still hit the over. Um, Yeah, I think that this – I'm going to continue to play this week after week, as I said. I think that they've just – they've broken the formula here for how how they set the lines. We just – we very rarely see longest rush lines go over 20 yards. I think we've seen it once this week with Chubb where it was available at 20 and a half. That was against the Texans. Um and as we've talked about the Texans a few times, and we're going to talk about them again today, they're the most friendly defense in terms of giving up long runs. So that was the one time we saw that line jump above 20. It almost never happens, and yet Chubb continues 
to top that number week after week. So I'm going to continue to play it regardless, but I did want to point out that trend among the losses. Now I'm going to play it this week partially because I think the Ravens are, they're a, they're a decent run defense, but I, I don't think that it's a case where you need to stay away from them because of the defense. They rank 10th in their rate of allowing three or more yards before contact at 22% of carries by running backs, getting three or more yards before contact. So they're above average, but they're not a dominant run defense by any means. The last time these teams met early in the year, the Browns gained three or more yards before contact on 33% of their carries. That was the second highest rate allowed by the Ravens this season. So we have a little bit of evidence that the Browns run game is going to have success in this matchup. So, you know, as I said, any Browns win or a close game, we think the odds of hitting the over go up. Um, so one thing that you could do if you were hesitant to play in this matchup is wait until we know for certain what Lamar Jackson's status is. If he does play and you think the Ravens are going to win easily, maybe you could justify sitting it out this week. If he doesn't play, though, this is, I think we can say with some confidence, the Ravens are not going to cruise to an easy victory without Lamar Jackson. Probably tips a scale in the Browns' favor if he doesn't play. And so I think our confidence should go up. So if Lamar Jackson does not play in this game, if we get confirmation that he is out, I'm absolutely feeling good about this prop this week because it probably means a bigger workload for Chubb because the odds of the Ravens blowing them out go down a lot. If Lamar Jackson does play, I personally am still going to play this. But again, you you could make an argument that the Ravens uh, sh- should could have an easy victory and maybe it would be a, a game to stay away if, if that's the case. So I think you're justified in waiting to hear Lamar Jackson's has if you want to, but I'm personally going to play it regardless. Another game on Saturday that I've got a prop for is Colts at Vikings. And this is another one that we're playing again from last week. Just like last week, I'm taking the over on Adam Thielen's receptions. And as we discussed last week, the, this line has been consistently available at three and a half or four, but his usage really has a lot to do with how the defense lines up then their coverage. As we talked about last week and also when we played it on Thanksgiving against the Patriots, his usage, his usage takes a big jump when the defense is in single high coverage and it drops pretty significantly against two high coverages. Against single high coverage, Thielen has a 24% target share. Against two high coverage, a 15% target share. Now, I also looked up the numbers since they added TJ Hawkinson, and they're pretty similar. Against single high coverage, 22% target share. Against two high, 15% target share. Really, um, almost no difference there at all since they've added Hawkinson. And, you know, as we talked about both on Thanksgiving and last week, we played this trend and we won hitting the over on his receptions. Now, they've got the Colts this week. The Colts do not play it to the same degree as the Patriots or even the Lions, but they have used single high coverage on over 50% of their dropbacks in all but one game this year. And if you listen to last week's podcast, you already have heard this stat, but when Thielen plays a team who uses single high coverage over 50%, those are his best games of the year. I'll run through the games right now. It's six games against teams that have used single high coverage over 50% of the time. Last week against the Lions, seven receptions on eight targets. Earlier in the season against the Lions, six receptions on eight targets. Eight receptions on nine targets against the Saints. Four receptions on eight targets against Miami. Six receptions, seven targets against Arizona. Nine receptions on ten targets against New England. Those are the six games in which the defense used single high coverage against them over 50% of the time. 
And as I said, the Colts use single high coverage over 50% of the time in all but one game this season. So in that six-game stretch, that's seven or more targets in every game, six or more receptions in five of the six games. And because we expect the Colts to do this, to use this coverage scheme again, the fact that we're seeing him so consistently hit six or more receptions and they, the line has never been available at higher than four and a half. It's been three and a half or four and a half all season. If we get that number again, absolutely take it. This seems like a huge advantage that we can exploit when the Vikings are playing a, de a defense that's going to show them a lot of single high looks because it every single time is boosting Adam Thielen's usage to an extreme degree. Even if the line jumped up to five and a half, which we haven't seen all the all season, but if it did, I would still take the over because of that trend in five of these six games. He's hit six or more receptions, seeing seven or more targets in all of those games. I think this is another fantastic matchup for Thielen. We should feel really good taking the over on his receptions at four and a half, or even if it jumped to five and a half this week. All right, let's jump down to Sunday's action. And this next prop, although it's a different player we're targeting it's the same logic and we're going to try to take advantage of the Texans run defense as we have done uh, pretty regularly lately and this week I'm going to take the over on Isaiah Pacheco's longest rush hoping to have it at 14 and a half yards I'll take the over on that if it jumps up to 15 and a half I'll probably still take it there if it gets higher than 15 and a half maybe it's maybe that's a range where you'd want to stay away but we've pretty consistently seen it at 14 and a half or lower with it being the Texans defense, it could jump up by a yard, but I'll still take the over at 15 and a half. And this is purely about the Texans defense and its logic that we used last week when they played the Cowboys. Last week, I recommended taking Tony Pollard's longest rush, and I suggested the possibility of taking the over on Ezekiel Elliott as well, kind of as a hedge, thinking that you're extremely likely to hit at least one of those so you could win your some money back if you lost one of them. But chances of them both hitting the over was possible as well. And sure enough, in the first half of that game, they both hit the over. It was pretty easy. Um, so that was a nice double win if you played both of those. And again, this all comes back to the Texans' inability to create early contact. The reason I reference, again, the reason I reference three or more yards before contact very often, 77% of gains of 15 or more yards this season start with three or more yards before contact. So that's why I keep coming back to the stat. And it's a key stat for the Texans. They allow three or more yards before contact on 28% of carries by running backs. That's the third worst rate. They also allow 15 or more yards to running backs on 16% of their carries. That is the worst rate in the league. So they're, they're allowing untouched yardage at a really high rate, and they're regularly allowing big plays when that happens. Also, if we look specifically at when they fail to make contact in the backfield, so when the running back gets to the line of scrimmage or further without contact, 21% of those runs, one out, basically one out of every five of those carries is going for at least 15 yards against the Houston defense this season. That is the worst rate in the league by a little bit of a margin too. The, the Texans just, if they don't create early contact, they are the worst defense in the league flat out. And so against a team like the Chiefs that does a decent job of creating uh, untouched yardage in their run scheme with their run scheme. I think Pacheco, although he's not really a home run hitter, that's not his primary skill set. I think he's going to be able to take advantage of this. Now, looking at Pacheco's stats, just to sort of prove the point that it's not necessarily his skill set, even if we look at when he is not contacted in the backfield, he gains 15 or more yards on just 5% of his carries. That ranks 25th out of 46 running back so basically right there in the middle of the league average maybe slightly below league average but if you've got a league average 
running back going against a league worst defense, I'm still feeling good about the running back. So I like the over on Isaiah Pacheco's longest rush, hoping for this line at 14 and a half yards. I'll still take the over if it climbs a little bit to 15. Another prop that we played last week that I think we're probably going to continue playing this weekend into the future is the under on Latavius Murray's longest rush. And this is basically the anti Nick Chubb. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier in the season when Melvin Gordon was the lead back in Denver. It was kind of a mess. Well, he was the least explosive back in the league. I mentioned last week with Latavius Murray, it seems like he has taken the reins and we played the under on his longest rush last week, even against a relatively friendly Chiefs run defense. And it was a winner. His longest rush was eight yards. This number was available at 10 and a half last week. Assuming we get it at that number, I'm still going to, I'm going to take the under. If it drops any lower than that, I'm probably going to stay away, but we rarely see these lines get into the single digits. So I think it's a pretty safe bet to say that we'll probably be able to get it at 10 and a half again. The previous week it was 12 and a half and the week before that it was 15 and a half. So there were some expect some unearned expectations for him uh, when he initially took over this job. It seems like expectations have now gotten to a reasonable level, but this this run game is terrible and Latavius Murray is washed up just as much as Melvin Gordon is. So I'm going to keep riding this. Murray has gained 10 or more yards and just 6.3% of his carries. Only Melvin Gordon has a lower rate in the league this season. These are the two worst running backs in the league when it comes to their ability to break off longer runs. And even if we look at plays when he's not contacted in the backfield, Murray is gaining 10 or more yards and only 7.9% of his carries. The league average is 14%, almost double Murray's rate. And by that metric, only Gordon and Cam Akers are worse. So Murray is right there in that bottom tier among the very worst running backs in the league in terms of their explosive ability. Now, he plays the Cardinals this week. They're allowing 10 or more yards to running backs with the third highest rate. So that might make you a little hesitant. However, I think the fact that they they rank so poorly in that metric is a little bit surprising because there are some other numbers that indicate they're more around league average. They create contact at or behind the line of scrimmage on 45% of carries by running backs. The league average is 44%. But so by that metric, basically right at the league average. Also, that three plus yards before contact metric that is really key when on these longest rush props. The Cardinals allow three or more yards before contact on 25% of carries. League average is 24%. So those are two really important numbers there that indicate that although they have given up long runs at a pretty high rate, some of the underlying numbers suggest maybe there's a little bit of flukiness to that. There, there should be closer to league average. So why is that rate so high? I went back and looked at who they've been giving up longer runs to, and it seems like what's happened is some of the better run games, some of the better running backs have just really gashed them. And if if you look at some of the other games against more guys who are more in Latavius's Murray's class, we should expect them to perform a little bit better. Dalvin Cook had four carries of 10 or more yards in one game against them. Alvin Kamara had three. Kenneth Walker in his two games against them had seven runs of 10 or more yards. So that's 14 of those plays just by those three running backs alone. It, it really seemed to be clustered together. These long runs that they've given up are really clustered together by a few guys. And for the most part, on a week-by-week basis, they've been close. The Cardinals have been closer to a league average defense in terms of giving up, giving up these long runs. It's just been certain teams have really gashed them. We have absolutely no reason to think Denver is capable of gashing anybody in the run game this season. Gordon couldn't do it. Davis Murray can't do it. 
given how slow and plotting the Broncos run game has been this year, it's just it's really unlikely that Murray is going to take advantage of what is probably closer to a league average defense in Arizona. So I'm going to be on the under and Latavius Murray's longest rush so long as it's available at 10 and a half or higher this week. All right, now it's time to talk about the Patriots defense, the trend that we've been following with decent success. We're six and three so far this year following this trend of trying to take advantage of the Patriots coverage scheme. And this week, I'm going to take the over on Devontae Adams receiving yards, hoping to have it available at 89 and a half yards. That seems to, that's a little bit on the higher end of his numbers, um, of where this number has been for him this year. It has gotten into the 90s a couple times. I might stay away if it climbed up to like 95 or something like that. But as long as it's available around 90, I'm going to take the over here. And as we've talked about, this is based on the trend of the Patriots using single high coverage at a really high rate. Last week, we played this with DeAndre Hopkins receiving yards, and uh, we hit the over with that one last week. I was a little nervous last week, though, and Kyler Murray went down early because, as we have talked about, some of the losses that we had were with bad quarterbacks. Two of our early losses were with Sam Ellinger and Zach Wilson, and so I sort of adjusted this strategy to say, like, maybe we should avoid the really bad quarterbacks. Let's just take the passing games that we trust against their defense that I thought we could trust the Cardinals with Kyler Murray and got a little nervous when it turned over to Colt McCoy, uh, but he came through. Hopkins was able to uh, hit the over by a few yards last week. And so, you know, again, this is based on their the Patriots' use of single high coverage. They use it, they use single high coverage on 24.7% of plays outside the red zone. That is the second lowest rate in the league the dolphins have surpassed them now for the lowest rate but the league average is 42 percent. so it's a big difference from the way the league as a whole is playing teams and just again to explain why this matters so much too high coverage tends to leave the middle of the field open you're going to see tend to see more targets to slot receivers or tight ends guys who get to the middle of the field more often single high coverage creates more opportunities on the outside so how do the Raiders handle these two types of coverages decent differently? Looking at their target share breakdown in single high versus two high, immediately jumped out. Devontae Adams is the guy to take in this matchup. Versus two high coverages, Devontae Adams' target share is 25%. Versus single high, 43%. That's the biggest jump that I've come across this season between those two coverage types. So this just seems like a really obvious one against the Patriots. Now, one of the re- reasons why you might hesitate is the Patriots are obviously well-known for always trying to take away your best option, and obviously that's Devontae Adams for the Raiders. But as I talked about last week with DeAndre Hopkins, the Patriots just don't have the talent in the secondary to take away this caliber of a receiver. We've seen Justin Jefferson go off on them. Stephon Diggs had a nice game a couple weeks ago. DeAndre Hopkins hit the over on this prop last week against them. They just don't have the ability to take away this type of player, so I'm not concerned about Devontae Adams getting his. his That target share is so extreme. They're going to continue to feed him the ball. They're not going to be scared of the Patriots secondary in this matchup. Now, one other thing that we should be aware of is Darren Waller and Hunter Renfo. They have not played recently. They're both on track to return soon, maybe even this week. So I went back and looked at their numbers to see how they might factor in because obviously they could potentially take some targets away. Maybe that 43% target share versus single high shifts a little bit. So I wanted to dive into those numbers and I'll run through them for you now. In games when Hunter Renfro was active, Renfro saw a 19% target share versus two high, 
10% target share versus single high. Really strong reason to believe that he is not going to cut into Adams' workload against single high because he actually sees a big drop-off in usage against single high coverage. Looking at Adams' target share in those games when Renfro was active, he saw a 40% target share versus single high, 23% versus two high. So virtually identical to the numbers that he was having over the course of the whole season. If Renfro is active, Adams is still going to be the guy that they're going to feed the ball to against single high coverage. Now in games when Waller was active, he had a 15% target share against both single high and two high coverage. So Darren Waller's usage did not change at all based on the coverage that the defense was showing. Adams' usage when Waller was active was 43% versus single high, 20% versus two high. Again, almost identical to his usage over the course of the whole season. So it seems like neither Renfro or Waller has any impact whatsoever on Devontae Adams' usage. Against single high coverage, they're going to feed the ball to Devontae Adams over and over again. So knowing that this is the coverage that the Patriots lean on to a really high degree week after week, I think we have to assume Adams is going to get a nice boost in his usage. So I'm, gonna, I'm feeling really good about the over on Devontae Adams' receptions so long as the line is around 90 yards. Sticking with that same Raiders-Patriots games, I'm going to take the under on Mac Jones interception prop. I'm going to bet on him not throwing an interception this week. Now Jones threw a lot of interceptions early in the season, but he's calmed down a bit and it basically seems like it's because the Patriots completely lost faith in him and have just dialed back the offense to such a conservative level that they're not going to let him throw an interception anymore. Since he returned to action in week eight, 31% of Mac Jones attempts do not cross the line of scrimmage that's the highest rate in the league now prior to his injury when he was throwing interceptions at a high rate i believe he had five just through the first two or three games of the season so prior to his injury he was throwing past the line of scrimmage or i'm sorry only 16 percent of his throws did not cross the line of scrimmage that was the fifth lowest rate so they actually started the season allowing jones to be fairly aggressive throwing downfield they were not dinking and dunking as they have been lately early in the year Jones was terrible he threw a ton of interceptions probably cost them some games early in the year with the way he was playing when he came back they basically said all right enough you're purely a game manager your job is to not turn the ball over they're calling the game as if that's the plan is just go out there and don't screw up and so I think that we should follow this trend of Jones has not thrown very many interceptions lately. And I think that the game plan is dictating it. It's not necessarily has anything to do with Jones, the, the way he's playing. It's just the fact that they're calling a game to purposefully limit his ability to put the ball in harm's way. So I think as long as they're calling games this way, this might be a prop that we should continue. We should come back to week after week. Now, I also wanted to take a look at the Raiders just to see, now, obviously, they have to throw downfield sometimes, so I wanted to look at how good the Raiders are at making plays on the ball. Now, interceptions are kind of fluky. I don't necessarily look specifically at interceptions. They have four. The Raiders have four interceptions this year. That's a low number. Digging a little bit deeper and looking at ball hawk rate, which is the rate at which a defensive player makes a play on the ball, not necessarily just interceptions, but any play on the ball, that's a little bit more indicative of um, a long, if you have a lot of interceptions and a high ball hawk rate, you're probably going to continue to get interceptions. If you don't have very many interceptions and a very low ball hawk rate, again, that's probably not a fluke. You're probably not going to get a lot of interceptions. So looking at the Raiders and looking at only passes that do not, that, that looking at 
only passes that do cross the line of scrimmage. Obviously, the further downfield you throw, the more likely you are to have the defense make a play on the ball. So throwing out those passes that don't cross the line of scrimmage, the Raiders make a play on the ball in only 7.3% of passes. That's the third worst rate in the league. So the fact that they only have four interceptions, that's not a fluke. They are not making plays on the ball. They're not putting themselves in position to come up with interceptions. So this is a great combination of the Patriots having an ultra-conservative game plan for Mac Jones, purposely trying to put him in situations where he can't put the ball in harm's way, and a Raiders defense, which even when the ball is in harm's way, they're not capable of making a play on it. So I think this is a really great matchup on both angles there. So I'm going to bet on Matt Jones not throwing an interception this week. All right, now it's time for some Thursday night football action. We've got 49ers at Seahawks. As you know, I always like to give out a Thursday night prop, at least one. Sometimes I don't always have a lot of conviction behind it. Last week was one of those where I gave out a, a touched anytime touchdown for Josh Jacobs. Fortunately, he did come through with us, though, so it wasn't one of the more confident weeks with the Rams being such a mess. I mostly wanted to stay away, but we did get that one prop in. This week, I actually do really like this prop. I think this is a really great one for us. I'm going to take the over on Christian McCaffrey's receiving yards at 39 and a half yards. I was really surprised looking at the props this week and seeing the receiving yards numbers for the 49ers because obviously they lost Debo Samuel last week, which means they're they're probably not just going to dial back the passing game, especially since Debo is involved in so much stuff around the line of scrimmage. You can get those targets to anybody pretty much. They have other guys like McCaffrey and Ayuk and Kittle that they can get the ball to on those easier throws that yardage is still going to go somewhere and yet these props didn't change at all christian mccaffrey's receiving yards prop only climbed by one yard relative to last week in fact since he's been in san francisco the line has been available somewhere between 35 and 39 yards every week and, it, and it's right there again at 39 and a half yards this week iok's yardage didn't change kittle's yardage actually dropped in his props yardage dropped this week that was a little bit surprising but the number that i like the most is McCaffrey. I think you could certainly justify all three of them because I think they're probably going to spread the ball around a bit to make up for Samuel. But the McCaffrey one looked really good to me based on the splits of McCaffrey's usage in the passing game with and without Debo on the field. Now, some of this is obviously when Debo is healthy and he's just coming off for a play. Some of it is last week after he was knocked out of the game. But when Debo is off the field since McCaffrey has been with the 49ers, McCaffrey leads the team with a 30% target share. When Debo is on the field, McCaffrey only has a 15% target share. So when Debo's on the field, the offense still runs through Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, and McCaffrey's kind of an afterthought. Still involved, but a bit of an afterthought behind the others. When Debo comes off the field, McCaffrey is the number one weapon by a large margin. Now, just last week, McCaffrey only had two catches on 34 yards, but Debo Debo still played about half the game, so they didn't necessarily prep McCaffrey for taking on some of that role I think based on those splits we should have the expectation that he's going to at least take on some of the Debo Samuel role because when Debo comes off the field that's certainly what has happened so far this season whether he takes on all of it or only 20 percent of it I don't think it really matters because his receiving yards prop hasn't really changed at all so we only need a small boost to feel like we're getting some advantage here if his usage changes only increases a little bit we have an edge because the line hasn't changed at all so the other thing that you should keep in mind is McCaffrey has been a limited participant in practice early this week so monitor his status but it sounds like 
so far that they're expecting him to go. As long as he suits up, I'm going to take this, though. I'm not, I'm not too concerned. It should be pretty easy for them to scheme ways for them to get the ball in McCaffrey's hands. And without Debo Samuel on the field for them, I, I think that's going to be a pretty big part of their game plan. So I really like the over on Christian McCaffrey's receiving yards at 39 and a half. That's it for this week's show. Hope you have a fun and profitable week 15. 